Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I am thrilled that you could join us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation about Lewy body dementia. And we've got a wonderful author with us who has written a book that is uh, all about an experience called uh, Grandpa and and Louie, and it's a it's a story of hope and empowerment for children touched by Louie's body dementia, and I know it will also help adults out there as well. But before I introduce our author and guest today, I always like to welcome people who are maybe listening for the first time. Uh, just for a little history, my my own mom lived with dementia for 30 years, so I get this. I understand the fears, the loneliness, the frustrations, all of that that comes with any type of dementia that you're dealing with. And I want you to know that all voices are welcomed here on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. So if you're a person diagnosed, if you're a family or friend, an advocate, a business professional, an author, a singer, and songwriter, um, maybe you're a producer, uh, maybe you're a researcher, everyone's voice is welcome. I, I firmly believe that we cannot make sustainable change in this arena if we don't listen to all voices. And um, I just think that that's such a, a critical, critical piece. Also, I want to give a shout out to the Mark Arneson Band. Uh, they provide us with our opening music called Clarion Call, which you can download on any of your favorite music platforms. And um, if you haven't visited our, our main hub, um, alzheimerspeaks.com, we did just update that not too long ago, and we just really made it so much easier to find information. And so one of the pages that people have been loving is our free educational resource page. So please go there. You'll be able to find out about events of which, you know, we've got some coming up. I do a couple of support groups you can find there. Um, also on Halloween, I'll be going out to Minnetonka, Minnesota, if you're in that area. Um, and we're going to do a screening of a timeless love. November 11th, I'll be doing a webinar with volunteering for seniors about living with dementia. And on December 8th, I will be out in Woodbury, Minnesota with Artist Senior Living talking about family gatherings and events and travel and how to replace difficult, frustrating times with really moments of joy. And all of these are free. So um, make sure that you check those out. Also on the free educational um, page, you'll find a a graphic there, all of them are graphics, so they're really easy to identify for Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory where we've got 150 different categories you can choose. There's also a calendar of an event, glossary of terms, wonderful informative blog, and more. 
So with that, I am going to pass it on to the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner and let them tell us a little bit about the footbar walker and we'll be right back. I love the footbar walker and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the footbar walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, we are back. If you haven't checked out both of those companies, you're going to want to because the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner has all kinds of great information. They review all different types of products, and it's amazing from if you're getting a hip or a knee replaced or you need help in the shower, toileting, um, getting in and up out of anything. Uh, it's just amazing the resources that they have there. And the Footbar Walker, again, is just one of those those great products. Um, let me go ahead and introduce you to our guest. Uh, she is an author, and she is the daughter of a father who lived with dementia. Jennifer Radazzo is the author of Grandpa and Louie, a story of hope and empowerment for children touched by Louie body dementia. After she watched her father battle Louie body dementia, she was really determined to raise awareness and provide families with resources that they never had. And I can't wait personally to hear more about her story because Louie body dementia is one of those that I probably have the most people reach out to me on going, I don't understand this, I don't know where to go, and I'm just really feeling lost. And so to hear her experience, I know it's going to help a lot of our our audience listeners and friends and family that they know as well. So welcome, Jennifer. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, I am, like I said, I'm really excited to have you on the show because Lewy body is uh, one of those diseases that people really don't understand what what the symptoms are like and what it's like for the person diagnosed, how it has that ripple effect in family and, and friends. And so I, I'd love to um, just take a moment, if you wouldn't mind, and if you want to tell us a little bit more about your journey with your dad with Lewy body. I would love to. I want to start by saying thank you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had to connect with you um, and now to be here on your show. Honestly, I'm starstruck. You've done amazing things in this space, and thank you for that, and thank you for bringing Louis Body Dementia into the, the space that you're working in. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. So let's let's hear a little bit more about, about you. Okay. So my dad was diagnosed with Louis Body Dementia um, in 2003. 
that was very um, new. We had never heard of it before. My oldest was four years old and my middle son was a few months old. Uh, my dad's employer told my mom that he couldn't come back to work until he was cleared by a doctor. They were seeing some signs that he was struggling to remember at his job and it, that he had worked out for over 30 years. Um, so he worked in an industrial gas job plant, so there wasn't a lot of room for error. My dad was only 51 at the time, and my mom um, was starting to see some things that were kind of um, making her become a little bit aware that, that some things were going on with him. Um, wow, so that's really a young, young age, and a lot of people will be shocked by that. But there are a lot of people in their in their forties, and some even in their thirties, being diagnosed. And you know, I have to say kudos to your um, father's company to even reaching out to your mom because a lot of times they don't; they just pull somebody in and fire them and let them go. It's nice that they at least reached out and informed her, but I'm going to let you go on with your story. So she went, took him to the specialist, and they were told that he had both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And we were like, how unlucky is he to get two diseases that affect such major functions of the brain, um, the cognitive and the movement? We just couldn't believe it. So um, my mom, she was a pediatric nurse for many years and um, was a great advocate and caregiver, and she did not leave any stone unturned and eventually found a specialist at University of Virginia that gave my dad a diagnosis of Lewy body dementia. Wow. So you go from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's to Lewy body. <laughs> and that's, yes, a, yes. that is not uncommon, but how confusing, mm -hmm. you know, for, yes. for people. So once diagnosed, right. what, ha what happened with his job then? So he, he did have to go on, on disability. He was not able to go back to work. Um, mm -hmm. Because, as you know, Lewy body affects both the cognitive and physical functions. So he could he was having the Parkinsonism, having trouble with movement and, and things like that, but also the cognitive part led to memory loss and eventually hallucinations. So mm -hmm. we went from something that we had never heard of, Lewy body dementia, to just being thrown into the thick of it. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, like you said, three major whammies from the, the cognitive to the movement, and then you add in those hallucinations that throw everybody for a loop. That's a that's a tough one. Now, was it um, yeah. wasn't the situation with your your dad then that you decided to write, you know, Grandpa and Louie? So it kind of led to that eventually. Um, it, it started with the fact that when my dad was diagnosed, no one, I mean, it felt like no one had ever heard of Louis body dementia. This was 2003. There was no social media, no WebMD. We just felt like totally alone and could not find any resources um, for, for my family. So that really was the catalyst that, that started it all. We continued to tell people that he had Alzheimer's and Parkinson's because it was just easier to explain. It was just mm -hmm. easier to say they, the two things that people were uh, familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they so, still didn't yeah. probably have a great understanding of either of them, but it was probably much more common uh, because I think today even people don't really totally understand the impact um, and the and the diversity within the disease within every person in every family with that. Exactly, um, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I think that is common. I heard that from a lot of people with Lewy body um, and FTD as well, frontal temporal lobe. They were like, it's just too much. We're having a hard time seeing afloat and the energy that it takes to try to inform somebody is, is one thing. And a lot of families would say, well, I don't mind doing that. But when they start arguing with me about it and saying, no, that's not right, and yet they don't have a exactly. clue. That's when it gets draining and it gets to be just too much. And it's just you have to reserve yeah. reserve your energy um, to be able to proceed with that. So I, I totally, right. totally get that. And things have changed Yeah, you're already a lot. drained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. things have changed a lot since 2003. I didn't step into this till, um, formally till 2009. And even though, you know, I'd been on this journey for years prior, it was, it just didn't seem like there was much movement in all of that time, which really saddened me. And it also made me angry um, and really frustrated. Did you have those feelings as well of like, where the I, heck are the resources <laughs> the support? It's funny you ask that. I, I really did. And um, it felt we like we were very alone and it felt like, there were just no resources for us. Like as adults, we're struggling to understand it. We're struggling to process it. I've got a child who's four years old. How do I explain this to them? How do I make them understand and process it um, when I can't handle it myself? So it, it there were a ton of emotions. My mom was um, caring for my brother still. My my I'm the oldest of four, so my younger brother was still in high school. Um, so my mom has now become the full time provider, caregiver to my dad. And raising, still raising her children. So here she is, like sandwich generation. She's smacked in the middle of trying to keep it all afloat. Wow, that and that's a lot. And I mean, people don't understand it until they become part of that sandwich generation, and they get a they get a little taste of it when you know a chronic illness walks into their life. But when when you're when you are somebody who's caring for people at both ends of the spectrum, it really is very difficult, Mm -hmm. very, very difficult to do. Um, Gosh. Well, you know, how how did your mom and dad deal with the the diagnosis and and you as a family? Because that's not an easy one. Uh, I know a lot of times people are in denial um, and family members can be in all different directions. (laughs) Or or were you one of those other families that were all on board and said, okay, we're a team and we're moving forward here? Yeah, I wish I could say that that was the case. But honestly, my dad was in denial. Um, he was, they would go to doctor's offices and he would like say to my mom, what you forget, you know, you kind of like turn it on her and the doctor would be like, we're not here to talk about her, you know? So he, he really did not handle it well. My mom when had been, uh, she's, my mom had been a caregiver forever. I watched her take care of my, my grandfather, then my grandmother. So she just was the consummate caregiver. She went right into that role of caregiver, advocate, provider, everything that she had to do. She did it gracefully. She really mm-hmm. did. Um, I had a lot of guilt. I lived five hours away. I'm trying to raise my own babies. I didn't feel like I was being helpful to them at all. I would hear what they were struggling with, things like having to unplug the stove because my dad would turn it on with a pizza box on top of it, you know, things mm-hmm. that you really can't you really can't understand. Even when you said, like you mentioned, illness, unless you've lived with a mental illness and a physical illness, like both together, you can't imagine, like, how it, it, it 
comes together in such a detrimental way because you're, you're just you're you're giving everything you have because the emotional part of it, the mental part of it, the physical part of it, it really does take a toll on the family. Yeah, it, it does. It does. I know I had two brothers, an older and a younger, and um, even in the beginning stages, you know, we, we didn't get a diagnosis, a formal one for like 10 years. The doctor just kept telling my mom it was her hormones and stuff, and and she wasn't really comfortable sharing, you know, with even, even my brothers mm-hmm. really what was going on mm-hmm. because – how do you share something you don't know what it is? And and so it was always just sidestepped, you know, uh, with a lot of um, family and friends for quite a while. And then there became a point where, okay, we really, we can't hide this. We're not doing anybody any good by even trying to hide this, you know. And, um, but it takes a while to get there sometimes. And it's, it's baby steps because you really don't know, like, are we supposed to tell people or shouldn't we tell people? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I know we struggled with that. Did you guys too? We did, especially when there's a good day and people are like, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with him. He looks fine. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they start breaking out like the, the symptom checker and like, are you sure that's what it is? But um, my dad was very smart and able to compensate for a lot of the symptoms. I think that's why it took so long to get a diagnosis. Looking back, we think he had it several years before the employer got involved. But it was mm-hmm. just little things. He could compensate for them at that point, and he could – and then my mom would kind of play it off to, like, okay, he forgot. You know, like, we're busy. Things are crazy, you know. So it was easy for him to hide it at that point. Um, but once we, we we got it and processed it and dealt with it, we did all come together. My my um, Like I said, my mom was a caregiver, but my brothers, my siblings, they all stepped up. Um, even being young and in school, my, my youngest brother had a big role in the caretaking, um, helping mm-hmm. out with my dad because my older brother worked and my sister was out of the house already at that point. So everybody did what they could. We definitely pulled together. Um, but I do think that my mom was sandwiched in it and taking the brunt of, brunt of it all, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is pretty common. You know, with that, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's tough. You know, in terms of of writing the book, um, one of the things I always like to ask is, you know, what made you come up with the title? And you've got your drawings in here. Um, how did those come about? How did you how did you pull everything together? Okay, well, the book kind of just happened um, for me. It wasn't something I set out to do. My dad fought fought with Lily Body for 12 years. And mm-hmm. a few years after he passed, I was driving down, you know, just driving in my car, and I came up with the dialogue for the story. It just, like, was in my head. I, I pulled over and recorded it on my phone in a voice memo because I felt like those words, like, weren't from me but given to me. I've mm-hmm. always liked to write, but this was, like, redirecting my energy into this little story it was very therapeutic. Um, and that's kind of how it came to be. I knew it would be a good way to help my kids heal from loss and a great way to keep my dad's memory alive for them. So that's where the grandpa and Louie came in. My dad, they called him grandpa. And, um, you know, the kids, we, you, you and, we ended up referring it to Louie because it's just easier to say. And yep. um, that's, that's where the, the book was born. I never intended for it to be a book that I would share with the world, but the crazy things just kept happening that I couldn't avoid, avoid it. I just, it, I knew it was meant to be that I was supposed to share it. Oh, cool. So um, in writing the book, you know, did you tell your family ahead of time that, that you were going to do this? Because I know sometimes families aren't on board 
with telling a story. Um, and then, and others are really supportive. So did you tell, tell your family what you were doing ahead of uh, publishing it and finishing it? I d- Yes, I did. My kids had a, you know, very big part of it. Um, at, at this point, they were older and they, they understood a lot more, but my mom, it, it was the hardest to tell my mom. So mm-hmm. I waited till she was up on a visit and I actually gave it to her, you know, the, the rough draft, the manuscript to read. And it made her cry. So I, I, it was like bittersweet. She's like, it's beautiful, but um, mm. it was hard for her to read. So that, and I get that response a lot because it is so real. And when you're living with it, when you're in the thick of it, it, it it's hard. It's hard to hear it. It's hard to see. It's it's it, it's emotional. Um, mm-hmm. So, but she was very supportive, and and yeah, my family's been great with it. The the illustrations came about by. Um, once I knew, once I had shown it to my mom and kind of got her blessing on it, I decided that I, I was going to put it out in the world. Just certain things were happening, like I said, and I was like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. There was no doubt. I'm like, this is what I'm, this book is supposed to help people. Um, so I found an illustrator, and she actually came from – I found her online, but she lived in Virginia, which was my hometown. So I was like, it's just serendipitous. I, you know, everything just kept falling into place. Mm-hmm. And then it was born. Yeah, then it, it came to fruition. Well, you know, I think it was interesting when you said you you pulled over and, you know, the words were kind of given to you because I I have felt that a lot on my journey with Alzheimer's Speaks. I I don't really even see Alzheimer's Speaks as my company. I mean, I know I'm I'm the only one pushing it forward, but it really wasn't my concept. I mean, it just it kind of came to me, too. And and same with everything that I've done, you know, going forward from the radio show and Dementia Chats and, um, you know, starting the first dementia friendly community and and things it was just like nope this this just needs to be done and um Mm -hmm. you know kind of having that um spiritual guidance or whatever you want to call it uh that was what was pushing me it really wasn't people around me thinking this was a good idea in fact some people thought i was crazy you know in in doing that did you um was everybody really supportive of, of what you were doing? I don't know if you were working um, as well as raising your kids um, and then did the book, you know, along with that. Or um, it, it, that might be interesting for our audience to know because sometimes we use different things as an excuse, and I think you can do stuff at all different levels personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I- I totally agree and can relate to what you said. I kept trying to push it down. I was like, I don't want to do this. I didn't want to put it out there. I didn't want to put myself out there. You feel very vulnerable when you're sharing something um, like this with the world. And everything, every time I tried to like pull back, something pushed me forward. Something. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't, like you said, the people around me, it was just things would happen. Um, One example is there is a walk for Louis Body Awareness in 600 feet from my front door. And I'm thinking, like, this is that little thing that no one's ever heard of, but here it is in my backyard. So I start walking with my kids. We go to the walk every year, and um, I see all the children there. And I see all the children with their grandparents. And, and I see I see the love, and I see the connection, and I see the pain. And, and things mm-hmm. like that, I just knew that this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, so I did have a lot of support uh, from my family it did it did take a lot of time you know making it happen and stuff but but everyone was very supportive i have to say they were 
Oh, that's great. That That's wonderful. So, you know, when you were writing the book, was there a particular message that you wanted people to get or multiple messages, you know, within the book that, that you thought would be helpful for families? Yes. Uh, again, it wasn't something that I started with. It wasn't, you know, my 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 basis for the book was that even after that person passes, that love lives on. That's what I wanted my children to know, that grandpa will be there with you forever, even if he's not here physically, he will be in your heart. That was really all I started with. That was my, my message. But then as things evolved and I've gotten, um, you know, more involved with other people and groups, I've, I've come to realize that through all this and what made this book possible is connection. And that our connection is our strength. It's the mm-hmm. connection that will help you realize, that will help you through this. And it's the connection, realizing that your connection is not broken after that person passes. They still live on with you, um, you know. So that became a very important message to me and kind of catapulted me into other things. But, um, yeah, I think that's what I would want people to take away from it, that that, that person is always with us. There are things you can do to keep their memory alive, and um, we can get strength from that connection. That's a wonderful, wonderful message, you know, for people to to hear. How do you feel kids can make a difference? Because I think they can make a huge, huge difference in dementia if we if we let them in. So, what what are your thoughts on that? So, I, I do think kids can make a difference. I think that kids are are way uh, more capable than we give them credit for. They're perceptive and they want to be involved in things. Um, they, they have superpowers that they haven't even discovered yet. If you ask any kid, like, what their superpower is, they're going to tell you that I can run really fast or I can jump really far. But they haven't even scratched the surface of the kindness, what, that, what, what they're capable of using kindness and compassion and, and love. Those are all superpowers that kids, um, you know, will realize eventually the power of them. Um, and if you ask any child how they want to help, they are – they're on board. They're they're the most eager little helpers you'll ever find. And mm-hmm. they're they are so they are so good for our spirit. They're good for the their the grandparent or the uh, the person with dementia. Um they can decrease loneliness. They're just study after study at how, how that intergenerational connection will benefit both the child and the grandparent. It's it's just it's amazing. Yeah, I I agree. I saw that so much with my with my own mom, and then you know she ended up moving into a nursing home, and then I saw the effects of the kids when they would come to the nursing home, and they just all kind of light up. <laughs> you know, they they can feel yeah, the true. energy even if their head is down and they're they seem very disengaged. It's it's pretty miraculous the difference, and I loved watching like my own daughter and and my audience has heard this from me before but one of the most powerful moments for me was my mom really still wanted to watch my daughter when she was little and my husband and I were a little iffy on it but it meant so much to her so and, and my mom's you know had Alzheimer's and she was um, very social and very calm. She wasn't driving, you know, and things like that. And she just really wanted to spend time with her granddaughter. And so Tom and I decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make this work for Grandma, and she can watch her for an hour or two at a crack. You know, we kind of started out slow. And I would bring over McDonald's so she didn't have to cook. We didn't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. And I remember coming back to pick Danielle up. 
and they were both sitting in the dining room coloring. And as soon as I walked in the threshold of the door, they both had these big, brilliant smiles, and they both held up their pictures, and you could not tell who was prouder, my mom in her 60s Aww. or my my daughter who was like three. You know, I, I mm-hmm. mean, they were just beaming, and they were so in sync, and they were so happy, and they were so joyful. And I thought, gosh, no matter how I tried, um, I don't, I don't, it, that would be really difficult for me to get my mom in that space, you know, to play at that level and just that sweet, sweet innocence of connecting. Because as an adult, we learn, you know, to be busy and there's rules and stuff has to get done. And, yes. you know, we have our to-do list and we're so sidetracked where a child's not. They just want to play. And um, Yes, they want to be, in, yeah. And they want to help. And they're so creative yes. in, in how mm-hmm. they help. And I also think they don't see, they don't see stuff as a negative you know, they don't see the losses so much. They are their creative side is more of how do we include? You know, how do we how do we still mm-hmm. play? How do we still have fun? That's that's what I personally saw. Is that what you saw with your kids? I I totally agree. My my daughter would draw a picture sometimes. My dad would be very quiet when he was in, in a, a Louis mood and um my daughter would draw him the prettiest picture and go lay it right next to him and not need to say a word, but it was there. And it would just be, I love you, Grandpa. Um, and that, so that's a great way for kids to just get involved and interact. And, and it's bonding. They can read a book together, imaginary play. Um, you know, we know dementia patients, especially the, the, the ladies, love the dolls. And, and the child mm-hmm. loves dolls. That's such a great activity for them to share. Um, looking through family photo albums, doing puzzles, doing the, doing the awareness. And I've seen so many kids walking a mile at three years old because they know that they're walking for Grandpa. They know that they're mm-hmm. walking for someone they love. Um, so it's amazing to see what kids can do. I, I call it loving through Louie because I think love is the best thing a kid can do. It's being mm-hmm. there however you can. Um, you know, it's, Louie's tough. It's not, it's not all beautiful and easy, and, and you can't sugarcoat it. But I think love, loving and loving through Louie can, can really help things a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Even when my mom was in her end stages, she would be, and we'd be having a gathering, and the kids would be, like, crawling under the table, you know, and kind of having a little forward underneath. And she'd be sleeping, but it was always two to three seconds before they would come out from the table, she would wake up and giggle every single time. And the rest of us Mm -hmm. had no idea when they were coming out, but it was almost like she was in tune with their energy on a whole different level. And, and and then that just kind of softened all of our hearts, melted our hearts, watching that she knew when they were coming before any of us knew they were coming out from underneath mm-hmm. that table. And it was so consistent. It wasn't like a fluke thing. And to me, that just showed the power of the connections, strength of the love and the bonds that we have there. If there's a, a child listening um, to this right now, what would you what would you tell them? Oh, there were so many things I would love to say to them. First of all, I would let, let them know that they can make a difference and they do have superpowers. Um, that love can help so many things in, this, in our world. A bad day, a sad person, um, sometimes we just need a smile and a hug. And I want kids to realize that they, that they have such a, um, uh, there's, they have such an opportunity and can make such a difference 
if they try. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think so often uh, the mistake parents made, and I think we made this in our own family, was we thought, well, this is this is kind of an adult topic, and so, you know, we're not going to pull them in. We don't want them to feel the burden. And yet the kids are feeling the dynamics of the family changing. They can see it's changing, but no one's telling them why. And I think we can do some damage um, to our children by not informing them because they're thinking they sometimes did things wrong, that they're not as important as they used to be. You know, there's not as much time all, you know, all the time um, when you're caring for somebody else in that picture. And they kind of blame themselves and yet don't understand why. And and that's not the situation at all. So I, no. think we can, I think we can do them a disservice by not having an honest conversation. I totally agree. Kids are so perceptive, and they do want to be involved. They do want to be part of that dialogue. And I do think that shutting them out just will increase that their concern. It'll just mm-hmm. increase that anxiety, that worry, um, because like you said, something's happening and they're not really processing it without um, being involved. And it, it's doing them a disservice because once they realize that they can help and once they realize that they, they, they are part of it, the situation, good or bad, um, that it empowers them to want to help, to want to do something. And yep. I think that it's, it's that's a huge thing. And I, like you said about, you know, the, for the person, for your mom, light her eyes lighting up you know I think they've always said like when an older person they kind of revert back to childhood but I I think it's more like you see life through the eyes of a child Mm -hmm. and that's something we lose somewhere in the middle we don't slow down enough to do that but if you like spend time with a child and just you can look at the most simple things the grass the trees and like see it with new eyes it totally Mm -hmm. will just change your day and I, I think that's what happens when the um, the dementia patient and the and the child can interact. That it just it it just brightens their day. Well, it's it's just such an authentic communication style, you know. And it's it's not afraid. It's not you know, child's not worried because they haven't developed their ego yet in terms of what what does everyone else think, you know. And, and as adults, we're thinking, should we do that? What are they going to think, you know. And, and we don't even know we're processing unconsciously like that. But, you know, it does. It limits us greatly where a kid just goes for it. And, and, and I think their intent is always just so sweet and sincere, you know, in their beliefs. And, um, you know, that being able to let them, have empathy and compassion and lead by example and feel how good it is to make somebody else feel good and and present, helping them through their day. I, I think that is a huge, beautiful life lesson that we mm-hmm. overlook sometimes in today's yeah. world, which is which is yeah. too bad. Now, for, uh, right. for care, care partners out there who are trying to balance kind of caring for, you know, their their parents, caring for their own children, caring for their spouse, friends, still working, you know. I mean, the, the balancing act is, is crazy. I mean, they really turn into professional jugglers. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, what would you say to them? Because it is a, it is a heavy load and it can, um, and it's complicated. I mean, it's, it's not a, step A, B, C, D type program. Anyways, I've never found it to be that. Uh, maybe you no, maybe no, it's, agree. 
No, not uh, not not at all. I I think that we they get very caught up in trying to balance it all, um, and and they they play the blame game a lot. They, there's a lot of guilt there. Um, if you're not giving enough time to your child, or if you're not giving enough time to your parent, or if you're not giving enough time to your spouse, it's you're always pulled in so many directions. And I think that um, I stay very involved in a lot of the support groups. Theme that I see coming over and over again is guilt. And guilt when they're trying to make a decision. So I would say give yourself grace and let go of that guilt. People get paralyzed trying to make the best decision for their loved one. But any decision you make from a place of love, I believe, is the right decision. And nothing can, everything can be undone. If you, if you make one move and realize it wasn't the best thing, you can go back and do it without guilt. Because you, mm-hmm. you acted from a place of love. And, and, and the place of love allows you to go in another direction and change that. Um, I also think they can't be afraid to ask for help. If you're a caregiver mm-hmm. to your parent while raising a child, like we already mentioned, you're, you're part of the sandwich generation. You're burning the candle at both ends, and it's not an easy place to be. Um, don't forget that they matter, too. You have to fill your cup, even if it means asking for help, you know. Well, and it's so funny because we live in a world where, you know, we we value helping others, um, and not everybody is there, but, but a lot of people do, but we don't value asking for help. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we kind of look down, um, and we don't look down at others when they ask so much as we look down on ourselves for needing help. And that is just... yeah. You know, that's another stigma that we really have to get over because we also know how good it feels to help someone. And when we don't allow someone to help us, then, you know, we're we're taking that away from others. And, you know, and, and we all know that, but it's like we still are like sick of the muds. No, I can do this mm-hmm. myself or, or they're going to think less of me. And we get into that whole ego cycle of, you know, what mm-hmm. others are thinking instead of just doing what's best in the moment. And um, right. you know, it, it gets hard. I think for siblings, um, and I'll use my my situation, you know, I had a, my, my older brother and my younger brother, and I was kind of the primary. My dad had um, brain cancer. My mom had dementia. And um, once mm. my dad passed, then, you know, I kind of took over everything. And um you know, my brother said, "Well, you really didn't let us in. You know, you're really kind of a control freak." Mm. And I think, and I think there uh-huh. is that person in the family. One person kind of does have to take control and kind of organize. And you know, and I, I when they said that to me, I said, "No, I'm the organized one. That's why. That's why you guys were so uh-huh. comfortable." And so we had these two different sure. angles. But then I realized that I really wasn't allowing them to come in. Um, because I, I set the bar so high and I wanted them yeah. unconsciously to be little clones of me because I had it, what I thought down pat and I was taking mm-hmm. away from them their ability to have their own relationship with my mom. Yeah. It's very, very different. Um, but I, I, that never, it never ever occurred to me. And, and when I told them, I said, I'll take some responsibility, but you guys could have had this conversation with me a long time ago and we could have adjusted. I, I totally oh, agree. You have to, you have to talk about it. You do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. your mom, you're, you know, the one who steps up is the one usually that, that the person gets so comfortable having. So I'm sure your mom looked for you for certain things and, and wanted you, um, your help and your, and your input. So, and then to make it even like worse is then we'll take on, I know I did that, that approach of if you want something right, you have done right, you have to do it yourself, especially yeah. with the kids. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that really isn't the case. The kids are capable, and they're, um, you know, there's all, there's other people that do want to help, and and it might not be done perfectly or the way that you would do it. It could be done better, or it could be done differently, mm-hmm. but it gets done, and it takes mm-hmm. some of the pressure off of you. Or that it doesn't always even have to be done. I found that out too. But some of the things on my list were were things Mm -hmm. that were that keep me busy to make me feel like I was doing something. Um, Control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and boy, the disease. And and tell me if you found this, but uh, the disease really slapped me in the face. Going, Laura, you're not in control of much of anything in your life. You know that is really kind of a. Um, a preconceived notion that drives society, but you know, you guys are really in control of very, very little. Oh, very there. little. I did. I learned. I did learn that. Yes, yes. And I've continued to learn that in other circumstances with different illnesses and with COVID. And and we think if we like go through the steps and check off the boxes and go through our routine and and you know do everything the right way that that we are controlling it, but we're not. We're not in control yeah. at all. Yeah. No, and um dementia and I think in all forms teaches to live spontaneously and to be fluid. That it's that life isn't black and white and what works one moment might not work the next. And mm-hmm. you know, you you can have I, I don't care if it's a doctor, a friend, uh, another family going through the same situation tell you well, this is about how long this stage is going to last. And this is, you know, what it's going to look like. And it's like, no, that's a, that's a, their perception. <laughs> but it could play mm-hmm. out very differently for you. And um, I, I think that's one of the lessons that many families have started to learn. You know, and, and people talk about when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. When you've met one care partner, you've met one. When you're in one environment, you're... You know, an environment itself can change the outcome. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many different kind of um, spurs on the wheel that that can make things different from from one person to the next, to one moment to the next. Did you see fluctuation in terms of how your dad would react to maybe the same thing on, on different days or different times or, or even different people delivering a message um, or interacting? Yes, absolutely. So with my dad, TV was a big trigger. So if he would mm-hmm. watch the news, um, I think at the time one year there was some children had fallen down into a well. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's sad, it's tragic, but my mom found my dad on the ground trying to help these children in the well because mm. that's a reality to them. They can, yep. he can't he can't decipher that. It is it is real, but it's happening on TV. And in mm-hmm. his mind, it's real, and he wants to help them. He wants. Um, an, another big thing for us was that uh, I think one of the doctors told us that the mind and the body are fighting for control. So um, if, if the Alzheimer's is in effect, is, his Parkinsonism wasn't as bad. But when mm-hmm. the hallucinations would come, you know, and he and he would have hallucination, he would have freakish strong strength, and you're like, wait a minute ago, he was shuffling across the ground. So mm-hmm. it, it, there definitely is a, a that, and, and my dad explained it to me one day, like he had a lucid moment. I shared it with a lot of people in the support groups um, because it it was just so perfectly said. He had ha- he would have hallucinations, and you get to the point as a family where if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. So we would mm-hmm. kind of you know laugh or joke or look behind us to see if if we're see if he's seeing ghosts or something. We're not, you know, like it just you you don't know how to handle it. So. One time my dad had a lucid moment, and he said, it's like there's a veil. 
And when I look mm-hmm. on this side of the veil, I see what you guys see. He goes, but mm-hmm. on the other side of the veil, you can't see what I see. So it almost, and he acted like it was a parallel universe. And I'm not getting into all that, but it was almost like he, he did. He had two realities. For them, they mm-hmm. were both reality. Even though yep. it wasn't our reality, and, and he could recognize that at times, it was his reality. So that was um, big. And, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I, w- I was going to say, um, one of the things that, that families have mentioned to me, too, is with with the disease, I think the, the, the dual realities, I, I, I hear that all the time. But in terms of um, temperature changes or clarity, like, they would be they could be totally on or totally off and yeah. then when they're to, and then when they're totally off you think oh gosh they're not coming back from that and then boom you know you can have uh, mm-hmm. you know a few days or a few weeks or even a few months and then boom again it's kind of a crash and burn for 3 to 5 days and that are that are mm-hmm. really tough and um you know no one really knows why that happens Mm-mm. um but did you no. did you did you guys kind of experience that too? Yes. Yeah. So my dad was like a mechanical engineer. He was very – built things, put things together, um, you know, loved doing that kind of stuff. And he got to a point where he couldn't understand how the thermostat would work. So you would mm-hmm. come on in the in the summer when it's hot, and he'd have the heat on or because he, he would be, you know, on really high. So mm-hmm. the, the most simple concepts for him, who we had grown up with, a, a very intelligent man, the most simple things became – um, really hard for him to, to grasp. So mm-hmm. that that's hard to watch, too, because this is someone that, you know, you've looked at your whole life in this one way. You've looked up to them, the provider they've, they've done for you, and now all of a sudden they're almost returning to, like, a childlike um, way of being, and it, it's sad to see them be so helpless. Sometimes they seem mm-hmm. helpless, you know, and that's hard mm-hmm. to watch. Yep, yep. Um Gosh, it's uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, uh, and I would encourage people to get the book again, Grandpa and Louie, a children's book of hope and understanding. Um, the the pictures in here are great. The stories are are wonderful, in terms of explaining you know how, how things how things just happen in real life. You know, I, I like there's a, you have this one sentence here. Something has changed about Grandpa now. I can see it in his eyes. He seems a little sad, but I can't figure out why. And, you know, people talk about the eyes a lot with people with dementia and how it could be disconnected. And um, and yet we don't really know what's going on, what triggered that. And, mm-hmm. and that can be really tough as a, as a loved one, like you said, to see that because you, you want to help. You don't want them sad. You don't want them angry. You know, you you want your you want your old person back. You know, with with mm-hmm. uh, all the swings of um, emotion and understanding mm-hmm. behind that. So, how can our listeners, you know, help you do what you do? How can they help spread the spread the word for you? Um, yeah, spread the word is huge. Um, like I said, I was a little resentful in the beginning that Louis Body Dementia did not get. Um, enough attention and then um, sadly after Robin Williams passed I was thinking like wow he's got everything like how did would someone like that you know commit suicide and then a while later it came out that he had Lewy body dementia and I, I totally understood it it totally changed my perception of, of that situation 
Um, so I think the more that we talk about things, whether it be, um, you know, how kids can ha- handle it or how we deal with it or just putting it out there, just saying the word, just sharing the book. Maybe you know someone who has dementia but hasn't been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a long time to get that diagnosis. So if we're talking about it and maybe you've heard one little thing like that they have hallucinations, that's really a, a trait for the Lewy body. Um, mm-hmm. If if you trigger that and you think to say that to that person, they might, they might get a quicker diagnosis, and that could make mm-hmm. such a difference um, in their quality of care. Um, it, it's, still, it's still crazy to me how many people have never heard of Lewy body dementia. Mm-hmm. 1.4 million people are said to have it, and if you think of each of those 1.4 million people, if there's grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors have one child in their life, that's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Many yep. families have two or three children. An average grandparent has six children. That number grows ex- exponentially when you think about aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends. Um, I want the kids to have resources that my kids never had, and I want those kids to know that they can make a difference. Yeah, I, that is so incredibly important. It just um, it, it just mm-hmm. is on so many levels, and people, I don't think, truly understand the difference they can make by sharing their stories and, and giving people Mm-hmm. more comfort, you know, the more conversations we have, you know, the world kind of opens up and becomes a safer place, you know, when you don't feel so alone and you don't feel so shunned. And when you feel your stories are of value, you know, when you, um, I don't know for you, but I know for me doing my work has actually been really healing for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, the whole, the whole mission is to, you know, shift, you know, uh, dementia care from crisis to comfort. But, you know, we do that, I I think, so beautifully through storytelling. And um, as much as we think we don't know, we know, we know more than someone who's just starting the journey. And so all of us can be Mm -hmm. a help um, to everyone. Mm -hmm. So now for um, contacting you, people can go to your website, which is Jen, and yes. then your last name is R A N D A Z Z O dot com, and they can mail you at Jen at Jen Randazzo dot com. You are on Instagram as the period jolly period author. You are also on Facebook by your name, Jen Randazzo. And um, you are on Pinterest and Twitter um, as mm-hmm. Jay Randanzo author and LinkedIn under your name as well. So the jolly author is what you're under Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Well, anything mm-hmm. that you want yeah. to add that uh, we haven't covered? Um, I, I love to talk to people and connect with people. And I I love when people reach out to me on how they can get involved. Um, there, there's an amazing walk to raise awareness that, like I said, it's 600 feet from my front door. It was started in 2014 by a woman by the name of Tina Christie after her dad had LBD. And mm-hmm. next year is the 10th anniversary of that walk. They've raised a huge amount of money, and they've, they've brought so much awareness. Each year it grows in numbers. She went on to serve as the president of the Louis Body Dementia Association as a result of that work that she did. Um, and it's just such a great example of loving through Louie and putting that love into action to accomplish great things. And for me, it's turning your pain into passion. I think that's something, like you said, sharing our stories, it's painful. Um, but when you, when you turn it into therapy and turn it into a passion, um, that you're, you're putting, turning that creative energy in another way, I think it's very, it's very healing. 
Oh, I I so so agree with you on that. Um, it, it is um, it's just so important for people to to understand um, and to know where to go. And I want to thank you too for listing your book on Dementia Map. Um, again, I'll just give a plug. There's lots of resources there. You know, one thing we don't have in there, and if you know the, the president of the Lewy Body Association, we'd love to have them listed on there because we don't, we don't put anybody in there that doesn't know they're there. Um, we want to make sure that people are going to, going to respond. So if you've got a, an in there, that would be a great connector. I can definitely help you make that, make that connection. I'd love to help you make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Lewy Body is, is really it's becoming a, a really hot topic and like mm-hmm. you said it's amazing how many people don't know about it and yet it, it keeps bubbling to the surface it's probably mm-hmm. the, the number one dementia that i hear people really really struggling with um because of the mm-hmm. hallucinations and the delusions and you know it, it's just it's tough you know people can get um pretty strong and fierce and scary when some of those things happened, um, you know, you had mentioned your dad trying to help with the well, which was, you know, trying to get kids out of a well, which was really helpful. But others are are mm-hmm. in battle and they're fighting and, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, you know, and they're fighting for their lives. And I, I was glad you brought up the TV, too, because I think people don't understand the impact of the realities. And I, I saw that with my own mom and people really need to understand our, our television is filled with violence these days. If it's the mm-hmm. news, if it's programming and um, you know, we really need stuff like father and father's best and some of the other old movies. Mm-hmm. I love Lucy that are calm and fun and engaging or some of the old talk shows and stuff or, you know, just nature scenes and things um, that bring a calmness instead of bringing a scary forward. I'm so excited for the work that you're doing. I'm thrilled that you uh, took the time to to come and share your story with us. And um, again, I highly, highly recommend that people go uh, to your website and check out your book, uh, Grandpa and Louie, A Story of Hope, Empowerment for Children Touched by Louie Body Dementia. And again, it's not just for kids. Adults are going to learn a lot from it as well. Thank thank you. Thank you. And it's important for our kids to learn. You know, the kids today, you might think, well, why do they need to know? These are our future doctors, big thinkers, researchers. If they've heard of it from a young age, it's going to change the dynamic of everything that comes after. So I think it's very important to include the kids. I agree. Well, listeners, please like, click, and share and help us spread the word. Jennifer, thank you so much and have a brilliant rest of the year. We'll talk soon, everyone. Thank Bye now. You. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.